you. Thank you, team, for leading us. Good to be with you again this morning. And good morning. And uh, I know we're in this series on uh, summer school of prayer. So uh, Maureen asked me a couple weeks ago what was the assignment that Tom gave to me to uh, preach this weekend. And uh, I told her that I've got the little phrase, who art in heaven. And Maureen said, well, that's pretty simple to understand. Why don't you just have people talk among themselves and we'll have some food? (laughs) And I would do that, but uh, I'd I'd have to have you swear you don't tell Tom. (laughs) But I know one of you will tell him, so you're going to have to take in a message this morning on uh, this great prayer that Jesus gave to us to pray. And uh, we're going to talk about the prayer. Uh, We talk about it as the Lord's Prayer. It actually is our prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus gave to us. And he gave it to us in order to guide us in our daily life and our life as a community. And uh, we're going to unpack this morning this whole matter of what it means to uh, pray this prayer and uh, pray this prayer with conviction. And a little bit of insight this morning, I trust, on that little phrase, who art in heaven, because I think it is a phrase that is actually misunderstood by a lot of people. So we're going to talk about prayer, obviously, this summer school of prayer. And uh, we're going to begin by simply reminding ourselves that some of us, I think, in terms of prayer, have some thinking that easily gets messed up. There are three or four things that people believe about prayer that uh, I have found, in my experience, is quite common. Uh, There are a number of people who say, you know, as I look at my life in the frenetic pace of this world in which we live, uh, I'm I'm pretty busy and I don't know if I really have time to pray. Uh, And so in our busyness, in our frenetic pace, we think, I don't have time to pray. And that particular approach to prayer is based in a kind of thinking that goes like this. I don't know about you, but my mother used to tell me, don't just sit there, do something. So we tend to think that sitting still in a place of quiet, in a place of solitude, is inactivity. So sometimes we equate prayer as Not action, but inaction. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, when you go through the Gospels, you'll discover that for Jesus, prayer was the action before the action. Before Jesus ever did any work, any service, any ministry, any teaching, he was often found in a place of prayer with his Father. And I believe he was winning the victory there. And then when he stepped into service, into work, into ministry, he was simply gathering up the victory. So sometimes our messed up thinking on prayer is rooted in this idea, I'm just too busy to pray. And we think that prayer is not action. We need to actually confront that thinking and remind ourselves that prayer is the greatest action of the heart of life. It is the very thing out of which all of the other action of life needs to be based. There's a second kind of thinking that we have concerning prayer, and that is uh, some of us uh, have this kind of thinking that says, I don't think I'm spiritual enough to pray. Uh, This is the thinking that goes, uh, prayer is for the SGs of the world. SGs are spiritual giants. So there are spiritual giants in the world, and they're the people who seem to be on the upper floors of spiritual experience and relationship with God, and they seem to have a direct line to God, and they have to... They, they, they are the people who are closer to God, and therefore, they're the ones who really should pray. Who am I? Uh, I live down here on the first floor. Some of us say I live in the basement. 
I live in the cellar. I'm way down below, and I, I'm not spiritual enough to pray. And it's messed up thinking on prayer. What we fail to realize is that, and I don't know who said this. I think it was Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary from many years ago. He said this, all of, we fail to realize that all of God's giants in human history have merely been weak men and women who simply reckoned that God was with them. So we use an excuse to say, I'm not spiritual enough to pray. We need to confront that type of thinking. It's messed up thinking. There's another type of thinking, and it goes like this. I'm too strong to pray. This is sort of the opposite. This is the other end of the pole where people say, you know, prayer is for SWs. Prayer is for spiritual weaklings. You know, prayer is the kind of thing that people who can't stand on their own two feet, they resort to prayer. They run to prayer. They think that somehow they're going to uh, need that crutch, a fallback position. Uh, prayer is a kind of last resort move. It's like the emergency box that's hung on the, on the wall. And in case of real emergency, break the glass. And people who are spiritual weaklings need to pray. This is just some of the thinking that we have on prayer. And we need to confront this thinking because uh, when we read and come to Jesus on prayer, we realize that Jesus confronts all of these perspectives. And as strong as we might think we are, the challenges of life, the problems of life, the opportunities of life are such that we honestly need more than we could ever give. And therefore, we're not so strong as, we don't, we, as needing prayer. For those of us who are weak, we need to be reminded by Jesus. You have a Father in heaven who loves you. You are his child. He wants you to come to him, and he wants you to pour out his, your life and your needs to him. According to Jesus, prayer is what it means to live a truly spiritual life in the midst of our world. And for Jesus, prayer was not optional equipment. It was not the kind of thing that you could take it or leave it. Because as you look at his life, Jesus, the Redeemer, the perfect Son of God, Son of Man, lived daily in a relationship with the Father, and he modeled for us a conversation with the Father. If we listen to his teaching, it is clear that Jesus throughout the Gospels is telling parable after parable of pouring ourselves out to God, realizing our Father God longs to hear us. And Jesus, in his teaching, makes it clear that optional is not on his lips when he teaches us about the essentials of prayer. And it's in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 that he gives to us the essential prayer, which we know of as the Lord's Prayer. It really is our prayer. It is a prayer given to us. And so as we look at this prayer, we're reminded again in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said in response to the disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray. We notice John with his crew, is, is teaching them how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And he says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the prayer that changes everything. It is the kingdom prayer. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, refers to it as the prayer of God's exodus people. It is the prayer of God's people who now make their way out of slavery in Egypt into a new path, into a new land, into a new life. And this prayer is to guide us. This prayer is to guide our steps and our hearts and our lives. 
And this series through the summer is our attempt to look at this prayer and look at it um, not quickly, but to look at it phrase by phrase. And last week, Doris talked about our Father. There's much in that. Who is our Father? He is a Father who is holy and wise. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is all-present. He is caring. He is consistent, compassionate. He is a Father who loves you. You are His child. And He invites you into a family, into a family relationship, and to live in the midst of that relationship. And as we now unpack the rest of this prayer, we discover some, some further observations about this prayer as it relates to us. I want to make just several this morning. And I want to begin by just reminding you that this prayer that Jesus gives to us is an outline for prayer. It is a pattern for your prayer life. It is a kind of guide for you when you daily spend time in the greatest action of your day, which is to come before the Father. This outline, I believe, was intended by Jesus to creatively unfold. That is, every phrase is an opportunity to say that phrase and then pause and think and allow that phrase to just sit with you and then expand upon it. A few moments ago, I reminded you that our Father, those two words are loaded. They're loaded with truth, tremendous truth about who God is. Don't jump into who art in heaven until you spend a bit of time with Father. Remind me today of who you are. Spend time with that. And then each phrase is then to creatively unfold. I want to point out to you in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read that the early church devoted themselves to several things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the word, to the faith. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That is, they devoted themselves to doing life with one another, caring for one another, taking care of one another. We're told that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to reminding one another often of a broken body and a shed and shed blood for each one of them. And then it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to prayer, but that does not capture what I believe Luke was writing there because he uses the definite article in front of prayer. He says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. He's very deliberate to tell us they prayed not just any prayers, but they devoted themselves to the prayer. I think that indicates the early church took the prayer of Jesus and wove it into their daily life together and also their individual journeys of faith out in the real world. This prayer is to creatively unfold. And that's what we're challenging you to do this summer is uh, to every week take time with the Lord's Prayer and discover how it can creatively unfold for you. The second observation we want to make this morning really zeroes in now on the phrase, who art in heaven. And the second observation is simply that the prayer begins with what truly matters. Now, what truly matters in prayer, in your prayer life, in my prayer life? I don't know about you, but sometimes what often matters 
in my prayer life is what I want to pray about. So what often matters are are my needs, my struggles, my challenges, the things that are on my plate, the, the things right now that I'm dealing with. And I jump ahead, and I want to talk to the Father about I need some daily bread. I'm facing some tests and temptation. I feel the power of the evil one is just coming upon me, and I don't know what to do about it. I have some things in my heart, some sin that I need to deal with. I've got some people in my life who have hurt me, and I'm wrestling with how to forgive them. I want to jump into what I think really matters. But what does Jesus do? He says, I want to teach you how to pray, and I want to begin with what really matters. And what really matters are not your circumstances. Sorry to tell you that. What really matters is this. What are your thoughts of God? Someone has said, tell me what your thoughts of God are, and I can tell you much of your life story. This issue of what we think of God is where Jesus begins. And amazingly, he says, I want you to think of God in these terms. He's your Father. He is an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, caring, compassionate, consistent, perfect Father. He is your Father. Begin with what really matters. Where is your certainty? Is your certainty in who God is? Now, this is where our ideas of God, as I said earlier, uh, if, if you could tell me what your thoughts of God are, I could probably tell you how your life story is unfolding. This is where we have flawed ideas about God. Many years ago, J.B. Phillips, who wrote the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, was popular back in the 60s and 70s, uh, wrote a little book entitled, Your God is Too Small. His whole point is that often our thoughts of God are too human. That is, when we think of God, we use human categories. So for some of the kids who are here, we've given you a little bit of a, a prompt here of some of these flawed ideas about God. Let me just uh, take some time with a few of them. And I think you'll recognize that these are often the false narratives that people hold in their heads about who God is. The first is simply this. There are some people who, when they think of God, think of God as a resident policeman. That God is the long arm of the law. And enforcement of his laws, his rules, his bylaws, that's what God's about. And he's looking throughout the neighborhood to see who is messing up. And he is the resident policeman. His role is to keep order. There are not a few people who, as they think of God, carry around this image. That's who God is. He's simply out there trying to see if anyone's having fun, trying to catch them doing it and say, stop that. It's a false narrative of who God is. Another narrative or another idea is that God is the grand old man. That God is somehow uh, old, and he's an old man, and he is somewhere distant. This idea of Bette Midler's song, God is watching us from a distance. He's a grand old man. He's in his rocking chair, and he's just there, somewhat benign. Doesn't really, you know, do too much. He's simply watching. But he's a grand old man, relatively harmless. Another idea is that God is a managing director. That is, he is in the control room. He's a control room God. He's somewhere in the universe. He's in a control room, and he is turning dials and flipping switches, and he is, in essence, managing 
this world, and it seems pretty messed up by all appearances, and we're wondering, what are you doing up there, God? You're not managing very well. We have this idea. He's simply nothing but a managing director. I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I used to carry around an idea that, that, uh, that God is a God in a box <laughs> because every weekend I was told we were going to the house of God. We're going to God's house. We're going to God's place. We're going to church. That's where God is. And I had to grow out of that as a young boy and realize that that was just simply a way we referred to the fact that we went to the place where God's people would meet. And God was certainly present there, but God is present everywhere. But some people have an idea. God is in a certain locale, and he's in a certain location, and we go there to meet him. Stories told of a, a little boy who was told by his parents they were moving from Calgary to Edmonton, and uh, preparations were made, and the weeks went by, and finally the night came just when they were spending the last night in their home in Calgary, and the dad came in with his son. He was saying his nightly prayers, and and little boy said, Well, God, I just have to say good night, God, and goodbye. Tomorrow we're moving to Edmonton. And his idea was that God was in Calgary, not in Edmonton. Now, that's true. No, that's not true. <laughs> but we have this idea that God is, is somehow in a particular place. He's in a box. Another idea is the idea of uh, uh, God is simply nothing more than a parental hangover. That is, our image of God is in some way greatly tinted by the fact of how we view our earthly fathers. And so God is simply some kind of reflection or mirror image of Father as I have known Father, and what we need to realize is that God portrays himself in scriptures as a perfect father, caring, consistent, ever capable, powerful, all-knowing. And he presents himself. And some have asked the question, why did God of all images use that image when he knew that in the human condition there would be so much of father that would get distorted? And the answer is he did that because he knew that would happen. So Father, God is not a parental hangover. We're actually to get our image of the Father from the Scriptures, a true image, and realize all of our earthly fathers are at best good enough. But there is a Father who is more than good enough, and that's our Father in heaven. Some people would say God is a heavenly cushion or a projected image. This is very common these days is that we make God in our image. And this is why J.B. Phillips says our God is too small our thoughts of God are too human. And so Jesus says, I want you to pray when you pray this prayer. Begin with what really matters. Realize that the one to whom you pray is your Father, and he is the one in heaven. I want to take this phrase just for a few minutes and now unpack for you what is Jesus saying. Unfortunately, for many of us, our ideas of God somewhat get underscored when we see this next phrase. Father in heaven. We have this sense that we're, we're to pray to the Father, but the Father is, is in the heavens. He is, way, he is way out there. I want to remind you that in Matthew 6, as well as in Luke 11, the words that are actually used are these. Our Father, the one who is in the heavens, plural. The one who, are, the one who is in the heavens, it is to communicate the idea, and in Scripture, the heavens refer 
to that which is far out and that which is right here. Right here in the environment around your head, around your life. This is the heavens, right here. This is the heavens. Go out to the furthest reach of the universe. That is also the heavens. It's telling us something very important about God, our Father. And Dallas Willard says, what is at the root of this is a reminder that no matter where you are, the Father is always near. That's what that phrase, who art in heaven, that's what it literally means. Our Father, who is always near, you are always near me, us. And no matter where we go, you are near. We could go to the farthest reach of the universe, if we could, and you would be near. You'd be with us. You're with us right here. You'd be with us when we leave this place, when we go to our homes, when we go to our schools, our workplaces. Father, you are near. You are always near. And Jesus says, you're to pray to this one who is always near. Begin with what truly matters. It does not begin with us. It does not begin with our needs, but rather with who God is and who we understand him to be. He is our father. He is the one who is always near us. I remember as a a little boy growing up, uh, I can remember, I can see the room, my my room in in the house we lived in. And, uh, you know, bedtime would come, I'd get in bed. And uh, the first thoughts often when I'd get in bed was, uh, is there something under my bed? <laughs> Many of us had this fear. Uh, I remember as well looking at, at night as the sun would set. I had curtains that were sort of, you know, you could sort of see through them a little bit. And there would be bushes outside and trees. And I'd see images, sort of things flashing on the curtains. And I'd wonder, what is that? And then I'd wonder, there's got to be, there's, I think there's monsters under my bed. And I would call my dad, and I couldn't sleep. And he would say, what's wrong? He says, I'm scared. What are you scared of? And I would say, well, I keep thinking there's something under my bed. Will you look? My dad would get down on his knees. He'd look under the bed. And, and then I would say to him this, where are you going to be? Dad, where are you going to be? And sometimes he would say, well, we're going out. We have a appointment tonight. We're going to go out. We're going to leave you. Your brother's here. My useless brother would stay home with me. (laughs) I was not comforted by this. But sometimes he would say, well, we'll be right upstairs. Sometimes my dad, when he would sense I was really afraid, would say to me, I'll be right here. You just go to sleep. I'll stay here. And sometimes he would sort of curl up at the end of my bed and he would just say, Terry, just go to sleep. I'll stay here. Those were my nights of the best sleep. I think in our hearts, as we go through life, we're wondering, Father, where are you? And, and as we ask that question, if we have the wrong narrative, the wrong ideas of who God is, we can try to go to sleep with the sense that God is somehow way off in the distance. And Jesus says, no, that, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I am always, your father is always near. And so when you ask daddy, Abba, where are you? His response is, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm with you you right now. So this matter of beginning with what truly matters is no small matter, no small issue when we learn to pray. 
Jesus directs our attention to this. Be certain about who the Father is. Get clarity about who it is you're praying to. Before you ever jump into your needs, your challenges, they're very real, and the prayer gets to them. Before you do that, just stop and remind yourself, I have a Father who is always near. He's in the heavens. He's in the atmosphere of this world and universe. He's in the atmosphere of this room that I'm in right now, perhaps all by yourself. He's here. And wherever I go, he's going to be there because he's in the heavens. He is always near. I want to remind you that the verses immediately preceding the Lord's Prayer are these words from Jesus. When you pray, and Doris reminded you of this last week, when you pray, note Jesus says not if you pray, when you pray, prayer is not optional. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, the mask wearers. There are people who love to stand on city corners and on the street corners, and they want to be seen by others. They want to be heard in their praying. They want to make their prayers a show. Truly, I tell you, they'll receive their reward. Their reward will simply be this. People will see them. And they'll say, what a spiritual person that is. That's their only reward. The Father doesn't hear prayers like that. When you pray, go into your room. Go into the quiet place. Go into the private place. Close the door and pray to your Father who who is unseen. You cannot see the Father, but the Father sees you. You can't see the Father because the Father is at all times everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is all-present. He is at all places, at all times, fully present. And then he says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling. Gives another kind of qualifier. Don't think that your many, many words are what are going to win the heart of God. These people think they'll be heard because of their many words. That's not the point. The point is not how long you pray, how many words you add to your prayers. The point is you come to that circle, that relationship with the Father, and it's there the Father sees you. And then Jesus says this, do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need. And he knows what you need before you ask him. This puzzles us because there's some of us who go, well, if the Father knows what we need before we ask him, why does he have us ask it? He already knows it. It's because he's our father, we're his children. We all know at a human level. Fathers love it when their kids come and say, Dad, where are you? Dad, I need some help. Someone has said asking is the rule of the kingdom. Whether we like it or not, the father knows what we need before we ask him, but he loves to hear the cry and call of his children when they come in faith and just say, Father, I'm here to ask. I'm here to ask of you. Concerning the challenges and needs of my heart, I'm here to ask you. And this is what the unfolding prayer is now going to be about. It is seeking God for his answers to our greatest challenges and needs. And this is what the rest of the prayer is now going to lead us into. It's going to lead us into further dimensions of our conversation with the Father who is right near us and with us. And every point is going to be a point of a further perspective and clarity and calling upon God to provide for us all that we need. So I want to encourage you in the days ahead, 
as you pray this prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave to us, the essential prayer, to allow it to creatively unfold. Remind yourself you're beginning with what really matters. And as we learn more about this prayer, you're going to be seeking God for his answers, his answers, not your answers, his answers to your greatest needs and challenges. As I close this morning, I want to share with you uh, just several thoughts. One is a practical challenge about prayer. Um, Samuel Chadwick, many years ago, wrote a book called The Path of Prayer. In this particular book, he made a statement about the one concern of the enemy of your faith. And he said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep you from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless sacrifice. He fears nothing from prayerless religion. He fears nothing from prayerless work. I would add to this, he fears nothing from prayerless parenting. He fears nothing from prayerless industry in the world. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. And I believe he trembles no more than when we take hold of the prayer Jesus has given us. And we dare to pray this. It is the prayer that changes everything. So let's realize that when we pray, we are engaged in what has been referred to as the subversive activity of the kingdom of God. We're actually engaging in subversive activity when we dare to say, Our Father in heaven, ever near us, your kingdom is what matters. Your will is what matters. Your provision of our daily needs, that's what we need. Your forgiveness of our souls, that's what we need. Our forgiveness of others, that is what is needed. Your leadership in our lives, so we don't fall into the temptations of idolatry or grumbling or seeking to test you. That's what we really need. Deliverance, Father, from the evil one himself. The enemy trembles when we pray. The other thing I want to share with you is some words that come from the pen of my brother. My brother passed away almost now six years ago from a brain tumor. Before he passed away, he uh, was writing, he was blogging, and uh, one of the pieces that he wrote was a, a challenge, a prayer. And I want to leave it with you as the final thought. It's a very brief little prayer. It's my brother's words in which he entitles it, Live Rich Today. He wrote this several months before his passing on July 22, 2010. He wrote, Without thought of being poor, make the sacred presumption that there is more, far, far more for you from the Father's heart. There is more love than can be exhausted by your human flaws. There is more grace from the Father's heart than all the scars that you bear. There is more tenderness than all the callous slurs that can be thrown at you. There is more strength and power than all the mountains of hate. Live rich today, not from your own wealth, but from the depths 
that has no source but itself, the very heart of the Father for you. So I want to challenge you to live rich. Live in the presence of the Father who is ever near. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed and have some time just to fellowship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this opportunity we have had to gather in this sanctuary, this safe place, this place where we acknowledge you dwell, but you also dwell, our Father, in every place we inhabit, every space we enter, every point in time that we experience, you are always near. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are with us today, and you invite us to enter into relationship with you, to be your children, to receive your Son, the Lord Jesus, and in that, to be considered and called the children of God. We pray, Heavenly Father, we're in that relationship today. If not, we pray that even today may be a day in which we simply invite the Lord Jesus to come, live within us, dwell within us, so that we can be of your family. We pray, Heavenly Father, this week as we allow this prayer to creatively unfold in our daily life, that you would lead us into the adventure of prayer. Father, help us to pray until we truly pray, to persist, to not draw back, but to just stay with you in the school of prayer. And in this, Lord, to be your servants and to be your men and women in the world, but to know most of all that we are traveling not alone, but with you every moment of every day. Thank you for this word you've given to us through your son, the Lord Jesus. May we live it and live it fully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for being here this weekend. And I think uh, Tom is on next weekend, I believe. So uh, he'll be dealing with that matter of your kingdom come. I think just that phrase. So uh, enter into the prayer. Just allow the prayer through the days of the week to be something that you, you sit with and learn to just let it creatively unfold and be blessed in doing so. God bless you.